Hi, welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. My name is Tiet Helimetz, and I am a principal dancer at San Francisco Ballet. This podcast series of Meet the Artist interviews is your chance to get to know us, the dancers, musicians, designers, and choreographers at SF Ballet, as we discuss our lives, the process in a studio, performances on stage, and more. Join us for Meet the Artist interviews, live and in person, at the Opera House before Friday and Sunday performances. Or tune in, all season long to hear podcast recordings of San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interviews. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Molly LeBeau. I'm the Associate Director of School Administration at San Francisco Ballet. And I'd like to welcome you to this Meet the Artist. Today, we are chatting with Miles Thatcher, a soloist with the company. Hello. And we will be discussing his ballet, Color Forms, which you will see performed this evening. Miles Thatcher was born in Atlanta, Georgia. He was a trainee at San Francisco Ballet School, then joined the company as an apprentice in 2009. He became a member of the Corps de Ballet in 2010 and was promoted to soloist in 2020. Miles, this is your fourth commission for San Francisco Ballet. You had to pivot during the pandemic and it became a dance film. And now it's adapted for the live stage performance. Tell us about that process. Sure, um, first of all, Hi, Molly, and hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, it, it, this is probably the most roundabout journey to a stage work that I've had. Um, in, I guess in 2020, before the pandemic hit, I just started conceptualizing a stage work for the 2021 season. I knew I was gonna be on the bill there. Um, and then, of course, we were all locked indoors. And uh, eventually I got a call from Helgi, our artistic director at the time, um, asking, uh, telling me that we were, as a company, planning to pivot to a digital season, which was um, really exciting for me to be able to show anything, really, uh, and, and asked me to dream big. Um, so at that point, I had decided pretty much just on the music I was using, and I had a few key points of inspiration, like Alexander Calder um, and some mid-century modern art that I was planning to just make an abstract ballet with those inspirations. Um, and then once I got kind of the word from the company that we were pivoting, the first, the first place my mind went was um, if anybody knew anyone at SFMOMA, I, I knew arts organizations were all shut down just like we were and that we were all looking for ways to um, engage with our community. And in the spirit of the digital season, I was also thinking about how we were, how it was an opportunity to expand outside of the spaces that we usually hold our art, like the theater and the museums. Um, and also that it could be an opportunity to reach people that might not have access to these spaces or might not feel welcome in these spaces. So a lot of the heart of the project was kind of um, trying to peel back the barriers of people watching dance, right? So I was trying to make something that felt really accessible, joyful, alive, and also focused on the things that I think a lot of us were missing at, the, at that period, which was, um, you know, community. So that, that's 
kind of the uh, initial thought process I had as I was creating the film. You mentioned that you wanted to create an abstract ballet, and there's something going on in your work, even if it's not a strict narrative. Can you tell us about the journey we're on when we're watching this piece? Yeah, I think um, initially it was going to be like fully, fully abstract. Like, I, and I wanted like a huge cast. I wanted like 30 people, and we figured that probably was a terrible idea. If since we were doing a live capture during a global pandemic, we're like, oh, well, maybe not. Um, and we're also filming in, I know this is not answering your question at all, but just for context, we were filming in December of 2020, and that's at when, as a city, we were going back into the purple tier, back when we had these tiered, I don't know, levels of horror or whatever, I don't know. Um, uh, so um, I think the opportunity to kind of craft this piece for film um, pivoted our message, my messaging a little bit more, and especially since uh, there was the sp specificity of the spaces that we had and um, kind of the things I previously mentioned of, of what I wanted to comment on with it. Um, it felt like a, as, as I was starting to reconceive, reconceive this first stage, um, I really wanted to figure out how to capture the spirit and the essence of the film without necessarily just replicating it. Um, but I think both the film and the stage work share a few elements that I'm really proud of. And, and a lot of the essence of that is, is where art and inspiration can transport you um, if you allow it to. Uh, so. That's a really big part of my life as an artist, obviously, because I've dedicated my whole life to making art. Um, and uh, I think that's something that everyone who makes it into the theater can feel as well. So um, this is my way of describing uh, the way art can transport us. And whenever you were first creating that movement and you were having to do it during the pandemic, were you in a studio practicing steps? Were you in your living room trying to teach on Zoom? Like, what was that like? Um, let's see. Luckily, we were able to meet in person by the time we were really working on it. I had started, there's a really lovely kind of short YouTube series that the company put together with me kind of walking through the four-month process it was to go from kind of conception to the filming of the film called From Scratch, um, that if you're curious as to what that process looked like, you can absolutely still check out. Um, but we progressively were able to come into the studios first just one at a time, like one household at a time, and that's really when I started building steps. And then we had pods of like six um, just to take class, and then by the time we were, I was working with the dancers. I, I had a lot of material done on my own, but we were able to be in the studio all together in our pod. So the company was split up into maybe three pods. So we probably each had like 20 people each. Um, and that's when we were able to start kind of locking down the choreography and working with partnering and all of those things we weren't sure when we'd be able to get back to. Um, and that was, I think all of us were really afraid that we would be like too rusty to function because we'd all been inside for the past, I don't know, five, five months. 
and not taking class and all that kind of stuff. So um, luckily, I think all of us had this beautiful pent up energy, creative energy ready to kind of just go on, like blast through it. And it was, I think choreographically, the fastest process I've ever had, um, which is a testament to the brilliance of the dancers too. So that's, that's been really fun. How would you describe the movement style of the piece? Um, I, think, I think the movement style really reflects the music in this piece. And I would say the music is really energetic and syncopated and um, has a lot of complicated textures to it. Uh, and I think that that also describes the movement quality. And at the same time, I, I, uh, I think paper airplanes are a big motif in the film and also in the stage work. And I wanted to describe kind of the feeling of flight. Um, and I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of imagery that also responds to that. Did you have any particular inspirations for your movement? Um, I think a big, a big one is my initial inspiration, which is uh, the, Mo the Calder mobiles. I don't know if anybody's seen them, but they're these wiry hanging mobiles, essentially. Um, and we kind of pulled a lot of our color palette for the costumes from them as well. And I, I think kinetically they were inspiring to me just because they look as they should be in balance, but somehow they, say, they hang in perfect balance, um, even though they're not symmetrical. Um, and each piece is inevitably connected to another one, so you can't really you know, smack one without the other one spinning around. Um, and I think both kinetically and, and I guess conceptually with us as humans during this moment where, especially in the pandemic, we were all so um, attuned to how we interacted with each other. I think that was a really great kind of starting off point um, for how to develop the piece. Speaking of the costumes. Yes. What is the evolution of the costume changes within the ballet? Uh, this is a fun one for me. <laughs> so Susan Romer is my lovely, lovely costume designer who's brilliant, and I cannot speak more highly of her. Um, we actually started creating together in 2012 when both of us were young. She, I mean, we're still young, right? Um, she, she was still dancing at SMU and Ballet, so she comes from a dance background and really knows how to outfit dancers um, because she was a dancer. Um, but each dancer in the film has three costumes, and um, if you've seen the film, you'll know that uh, the first two costumes we call the MoMA look because they're as they are, the dancers appear in the museum setting in a very pedestrian looking clothes. Um, and they kind of flip into these dance, rehearsal dance wear um, in the same cut, in the same choreography. Uh, and I really liked this description of kind of transporting spaces through the art or the museum that the, the dancers were taking in. Um, and we've been able to incorporate all three costumes again in the stage work. So if they're not, if the dancers are not on stage, they're probably <laughs> changing. But but um, I think I think the way the piece evolves, it feels it feels really organic, and it feels kind of like a uh, like a like a 
like peeling layers to kind of get to the truth, the true heart of the thing. So you can take a look, take a look at that, and also appreciate the hard work that you don't see that the dancers are doing. <laughs> and the lighting is incredible. Thank you, Jim French, and the set designs as well. Did you have specific visual references for the set? Yeah, I, I think um, it was important to me to kind of just reference the. I don't know if sparsity is the right word for the museum environment that SF MoMA had, um, but it's this kind of really the clarity of structure um, and it's black and white and it really leaves, um, it leaves room for the color that's there to shine. And I think that that was a really exciting starting point for me and to see how we could um, find a way for that to devolve or evolve, depending how you see it, into something completely different was um, a really fun project to work on, and Jim French is the genius. Uh, and we've also been working together quite a lot, and I think um, we both challenge each other, the three of us really, with Susan, challenge each other in really beautiful ways. Um, and that's all I'll say about the set design. What drew you to the score? I know you mentioned the music earlier. So what drew you? And also, I'm curious, what comes first for you, the music or the choreography? Um, let's see. I, usually, I'm a music first person. I think it really, for me, is such a central part of a ballet. Um, and I gain a lot of inspiration from it. Uh, and I, I don't know, I find it's, for me, it's important to choreographed musically, so if I'm ever stuck, I'll really kind of allow the music to dictate what comes next. Um, I think this this score in particular is really, it's a Steve Reich piece who is kind of the grandfather of mi minimalism, contemporary minimalism. Um, and I've worked with two of his pieces, two or three of his pieces before, and they were really fun. They're a bit tricky because there's so much room since it's a minimalist um, composition, there's a lot of room for play, and there's a lot of room for play in the syncopations. Um, but there's also, with that room, there's not a lot of um, direction and contrast within the score. Um, so that's something, especially, I think especially with a film that I wanted to keep in mind, it's like keeping the environments changing so the music constantly enhances the piece and doesn't kind of great at us. Um, I think it works. I, I, you know, I know everyone will have a different opinion based on their own tastes, but um, I, I, you can look out for, especially in the first movement, every 30 seconds or so, the music kind of steps up a half note. It kind of like just changes its key. And it, it's this like constant progression that builds to the next thing. And I think that's, that, provides so much energy. Um, and I have to shout out the musicians. So there's 18 mu musicians playing, and they really have to play as a community since it's such a complex piece. And they've done a brilliant job, and I'm constantly blown away by them. I'm interested in your choreographic process in the studio in terms of collaboration with the dancers or you setting movement. And then could you also speak about the collaboration process you had when you were making the film, working with an entirely different set of artists like a director of the, of the film that maybe you wouldn't normally work with in the studio? Yeah, I think 
I mean, I have the pleasure of um, knowing everyone here because I dance here, right? So I, I'm, I'm seeing all of the dancers in class every morning. We dance together on stage. We're in process together with other choreographers. So um, I, I feel lucky to really understand their capacity and understand who they are as people and how to communicate with them. So we have this like really good foundation to create. Um, so we can kind of just cut to the fun part <laughs> a lot of times. Um, I think this piece allows for the dancers to be themselves, which has been really fun to create with them. I don't know, I, I think like I really see my job with the dancers as collaborative, right? Like they're putting just as much, if not more energy in as I am. Um, and, and I think that really shows with this piece. You really can get a sense of who, who these people are. And, and I, I don't know, within the cast, I encourage um, different casts of the same part to make different decisions based on even how they're feeling that night. I think, um, I think this piece can really handle those choices. And I think the dancers are brilliant and know their bodies and uh, themselves as performers so well that they can also kind of make those decisions. Um, so that's just like sheer joy for me. That's like fun, that's all fun. And then in terms of creating, I, I already talked about Jim and Susan who were um, my collaborators in the stage work. In terms of the film, I worked with a, a lot more people than I usually do, um, which was awesome. And I learned so much from them, I think, I'm, I'm really used to working, like my bread and butter is the theater. So um, it was a really great opportunity to allow the, everyone who's an expert in their field, the field to really shine. <laughs> and for me to take a step back and be like, I'm gonna trust you to do that because I have no idea of even how to talk about that, right? Um, but a lot of it, a lot of, there's a lot of work on trying to be as articulate as I could in the storyboarding process and the kind of conception of the film in order to keep all departments on the same page. And I think that was probably the trickiest part along with navigating um, all of the kind of pandemic protocols at that time because that was really complicated of how far you could be from people, how many um, people could be on set or in the building, you know, where the makeup and hair um, team could sit. Um, so it was complicated, but it, I think it worked really seamlessly once we kind of hashed out all of those details. Absolutely. It's seamless and fun and beautiful. Yeah, the goal was to, to, <laughs> to not have to think about COVID for a second, right? Or 20 or 18 minutes. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, we're here with Miles Thatcher, who is the choreographer of Color Forms and a soloist in the company. So we have time for a few questions. You can raise your hand, I'll call on you, and then I'll repeat the question. Is there anything on stage that he was able to do that he wasn't able to do when he was making the film at the MoMA? That's a great question. Um, let's see, I think, um, I, I actually, I think, you bring up a really great challenge that losing the editing allowed for a lot of theater magic that isn't possible on film because there are so many 
um, ways to cut and ways to ways to kind of transport us into another space. Um, obviously, the film featured nature and trees and and those things you won't see on stage. We didn't dig up a ginkgo tree and plop it down there. Um, but I think it gave us an opportunity to go somewhere that um, in a live theater setting feels more magical than it would on film, for me at least. Um, and it also, I think it allows Jim French with his scenic design to really integrate all of these big moves in ways that feel driven by the dancers and the choreography. Um, so I think there are a few things that you'll be able to appreciate more live um, that you can't necessarily see in the film, e even just seeing seeing the steps as they exist without the f focus of a camera or the perspective of a camera kind of telling you where you should be um, is was really exciting to me because it, the choreography is essentially one-to-one -one from the film. Um, but it looks completely different just because you'll be able to see it. The question is, what came first, the environment or the choreography? Which influenced him in what order? Uh, that's also a great question. Um, a little bit for the practicalities of what the order of what we were doing, I, I, I think we were still um, negotiating with MoMA to make sure we could be in there. Um, which, yeah, worked out fantastic. And and I think it took us a while, especially with the art on the walls with MoMA, to just license each piece of art, which um, Juliet LeBlanc did really well <laughs> uh, and very graciously. Um, but I think essentially the answer to your question is really what I know how to do is build a linear ballet from front to back. So as I was creating movement for the film, I essentially built a ballet um, which is why we can kind of put it on stage and it'll work as a ballet. And then I would, as we were discovering what we were allowed to do in what spaces, I would either adjust some movement um, or as I was creating it, I would keep in mind kind of the camera angles I really wanted to showcase the movement with. And I'd be in there with my phone as the dancers were rehearsing, um, filming it as I was hoping Ezra, the director, and um, you know, our Steadicam, um, our Steadicam folks, and the director of photography would kind of shape it in each different setting we had. Uh, so that was really fun for me, and it, it, I mean, it's great that we have cameras in our pockets because that just makes it so much easier. Um, but yeah, that that all went into the story. But I made like a a really kind of cheaply put together storyboard with all of the choreography in the studio and then with images from MoMA just to kind of get everyone on the same page as to how that would work. Yeah, but I would say movement first and then as we were in the environments, we would adapt everything just to make sure it felt, you know, sliding down the banisters, like all of those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is our last question. First time I saw it, can we quickly off stage? No, I love that. The question is, is the philosophy your life should be a ballet? And if it's not, make it one. <laughs> I think, okay, um, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I'm going to go deep with this, which I think is what you intended. I, I 
I don't know. I, I, I think the space I had away from the art forum as we were kind of in lockdown or in our shelter in place ordinances um, really caused me to ask a lot of questions of kind of what I was creating for and who I was creating for and what kind of what presence I want to have as an artist and creator. Um, and I really needed something at that point that was all about like joy and love and, and keeping that perspective as I create, that perspective of play and exploration and wonder, I think is really at the soul of what it is to be an artist. And whenever you're in a state of play and wonder, it really asks you to be vulnerable as well in a way um, that I think is really beautiful. So that's something I, I try to inspire in my rehearsal process, um, is to keep, keep everything in this spirit of discovery. And I think that's a really, feels counterintuitive to what we do as ballet dancers because we are so critical at all times of what we're doing, which is why you see the excellence you do. But I do think maintaining room for self-expression and joy and play and wonder and discovery, um, whether you're a dancer or whether you're a lawyer or whether you are a school teacher is really important in uh, allowing yourself to meet people where they are and empathize with people. Um, so that is something that's super important to me and, and maybe Maybe sometimes life is a ballet, like this ballet. Yeah. And, <laughs> I'm okay. so sorry. We're all out of time for questions, but we're going to end on that beautiful note. Thank you, Miles. Thank and you all for being here. Thank you for joining us today and enjoy the performance. Thank you for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about SF Ballet or to attend in-person Meet the Artist interviews and performances, visit sfballet.org. See you at the ballet!